we live in the world of naming the objects or do we that's the uh, title for the talk this afternoon <coughs> there is a world in which you and I engage in <coughs> pardon me and it seems it seems self-evident it seems by common, common consent that this is the way it really is and probably summarised that the world is full of diverse objects multiple numbers of them near and far and to many many of these objects either in a general or specific way we give a word to that object. We look up at night and we say, ah, stars. We look at our mind, ah, thoughts. And we look at each other and we might say, first name of the person, or nationality, or gender, or whatever. So it would seem like that here is the experience of consciousness, of human consciousness and when it turns itself outwardly there is this multiplicity of things both sentient and insentient to which we give the names and there is also when turning inwardly as well to that kind of inner universe heart and mind and states and thoughts and depths and experiences spiritual, religious, secular, philosophical and much much more we have a whole variety of languages for that as well so the presentation to us and perhaps the conviction for us is the world is full of objects inwardly and outwardly many of which are named in the particular and the general this is the truth, this is the way it is get on with it but maybe it is one way we uh, live in the world it has a usefulness it has a validity uh, to it but perhaps it, it is confined by the repetition of this view and not knowing any other way of looking. So perhaps we could have a healthy doubt with this commonly held view, we all live in one world. Actually I don't believe it, but others do. We all live in this one world. So in the exploration there, the consciousness gives attention to the object we are conscious of it and regularly as we know we bring in the label uh, the word and the Dharma that means the teachings and the practices of the Buddha are a real encouragement to explore this to see its application and to see its limits and a little bit of that I want to speak with you about uh, this afternoon just the usual uh, health warning on these things that uh, sometimes um, 
such explorations are not uh, easy to uh, follow. You can well understand if your mind wanders off into the sunset uh, somewhere. It's uh, fine with uh, me. Um, but if you can stay steady with it, possibly, possibly, a word or two might be useful. Take the Buddha Dharma for a, uh, uh, for a, a moment and uh, explore from there. So the Buddha speaks. I'll use some Pali words uh, with you. Not easy. The word consciousness. The word vijnana. And vijnana, that means like not knowing, like knowing. And vi, it has different meanings like vipassana. It can mean to double or to separate from. So right now, to get the story clear with you, it's only two minutes gone by, so I'm drawing assumptions, I know. Right now, after two or three minutes, you are listening to this walla. And this walla is speaking to you. Your consciousness, currently, is directed forward. So it's landing, so to speak, on the voice of the speaker there. And currently it is separated from where other places where consciousness could be. You're not thinking about the past or the future or what you're going to do in Varanasi or whatever. Consciousness is here with this and not with that. And that is the meaning of Vijnana. Being with but not being with that uh, there. And with that movement of consciousness uh, there, there is the, the listening which is uh, taking place and the words, the labels, the descriptions are coming over, uh, hopefully, to you. But when something is received there, there is the human being, you and me, which receive it. So there's consciousness, there is the expressions of the language, it's passing through the silence, it is being received by you and by me as well, in fact, and it lands, it, it touches uh, somewhere. And sometimes, in what it touches, it brings forth something from within. There. Yeah. And that something from within easily gets named as well. So you might be listening, you think five minutes has gone by, and gosh, it's so boring. And, and that's a description, the naming of the event. Or you may be listening, there is, I hope, some curiosity and some interest uh, there. And you think, well, Am I experiencing this? Oh, there's some curiosity, there is some interest. And the word curiosity, or the word interest, or boredom, whatever, is the name which is being applied to the experience of the time. It is the name being applied to the experience of the time. And this dynamic... <coughs> obviously is widespread for human beings. To the point, we think this is some kind of ultimate reality which is going on. We don't always know if the name, 
this is important and the experience that means what we're conscious of consciousness we don't always know if the name the word and the experience what we're conscious of is appropriate together to take example in uh, Dharma service to uh, people uh, listen of course it's, uh, to the stories of people's experience and in her or his or their experience quite regularly and importantly there is a reference to the past sometimes in the day and in the night things touch they can be very strong they can arise and that which might have happened in childhood or in decades ago it's right there right in the middle of consciousness that story that description that naming etc and quite often a word which is being used inwardly and socially a single concept that's the naming of the event gets used and the current common word which I hear regularly on all the retreats is the word trauma this is the buzzword of the moment so a person looks to the past she or he and will say not because they want to exaggerate not because she or he is wants to build themselves up or make themselves into a victim or whatever remembers something difficult recently or a long time ago and will say to themselves people like me you know I've really had a really traumatic experience uh, there and then following on from the single naming of the experience there may come if this person wishes to share some description of their experience this is what happened to me when I was da, da, da. and that leaves the residue and the reinforcement of the single word trauma there if the same word that means the same name of the event is frequently used follow this the memory of the experience will begin slowly but gradually but surely to infect the word the word will not be a clear statement of the event which it might well be in its usefulness initially but the actual word that is being used is tainted Buddha speaks of this it's the staining of the word it's the distortion of the, of the word not intentionally so then the self which is the I and the my comes in and it begins to repeat it even without the memory and uh, I've been traumatized I've had this terrible traumatic uh, 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 experience I just can't resolve this trauma that I had to go through this abuse that I had to suffer or whatever it might be so the mindset has taken a word in our 
innocent, naivety, not seeing or whatever, the self has strongly identified with it. There has been the repetition of the word, I'm taking trauma as one of the words here today with you, and in the repetition of that, it begins to infect it. And then the memory, because it's not resolved, then re-arises yet again, and it goes straight back to that same word, and it gets exaggerated again. How on earth can a human being be free of a painful experience when the naming of the experience has also become painful? What chance has a human being got of being liberated from that? And sometimes, in this relationship to what was and the naming of what was uh, through, the, uh, through the repetition, it requires of us, and it's no easy task, alone or with the other others, to look at the duality of this, in which the exploration of the duality is the exploration of the name and the named. Because they are not, and could not be, absolutely separate and independent from each other. And that combination, that codependency of the name and the uh, name, to be able to work with that, to disempower uh, all of that. Not, I'm not so foolish to think, oh, that will resolve the past. I'm not saying that at all, goodness me. But what I am, what I am saying it might be useful, no, I'm not saying it might be, it would be useful uh, there in the recollection of the past, sometimes to simply change the word. Because it's not working for you, it's not supportive, it's, it's not a description, it's a heavy duty judgment. And then sometimes to change the word, not to use the word that you've used repeatedly, may provide, may, just enough space for us to be able to look to what was, see what was going on there, have some sense of space around it, say, what is it I need to understand and be clear about? What is it there? What, 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 what is it I... Uh, need to understand and if no matter what it is if there is blame there we can't see the experience due to the blame we may feel the outrage understandably and humanly enough but it won't cure it because the blame either to ourselves or the feeling sorry for ourselves, uh, it feeds the self. When I feel sorry for myself, when I feel sorry for myself, the self is forming itself into being a victim. And it makes it incredibly hard. One finds oneself suffering terribly over what was because the self has identified so strongly with it, one feels one can't know what 
a liberation is, what an insight is, what a realization, because the self feels oppressed by the past, that the that somehow or other the past has gained an enormous um, influence over our life. And liberation, one of the many features of it, is the exploration of the way of ways and means that we're not in denial of the past. We're not saying to ourselves, this did not happen. Yes, it happened. We might not be understanding it, why it happened or what the conditions were. We may have a sense there. But we want to see a way <coughs> in which there is wise, clear <coughs> acknowledgement of the old in such a way it's not oppressing our living present. In Buddhist Dharma language it's called ending of the karma. It's the ending of the unhealthy and unsatisfactory and difficult situations which can impact on our life in the present, see it clearly, not demanding we should forgive, as I mentioned recently, <coughs> but much more, just clear about it to get a perspective there. And as I say, sometimes a small start <coughs> is just not using the repetitive same word or words or description. <coughs> In the exploration of the uh, naming process, I was sitting over there, uh, there uh, earlier, actually, earlier, earlier on today, sometimes here, one kind of gets... Uh, the memory might be because one's getting older God knows and and sometimes out of the, the blue the small event events have a way of communicating something deeper and larger our, our, our poets the best of our poets are, are, are marvellous at doing this and often regard poetry as one of the most uh, beautiful forms of reading or even better uh, listening to it. And the incident that I, uh, I recall with <coughs> oh, I forgot my uh, old lozenges but the incident which I recalled was a young guy this one um, travelling across the uh, Arab world Muslim countries which I very fond and deep uh, memories uh, of. Just very inc incidentally, just a few years ago, guy on a retreat, this is in Budgaya, turned up um, in Budgaya on his uh, bike, with his panniers, with his stuff in it, etc., from Spain. And I said to him, how far, where have you come from, where did you start from? Actually, he said, he's actually, I think, started from Holland, from Amsterdam. I said, you cycled all the way? He says, yeah, all, all the way. Whoa. And I said, you went through Turkey, and you went through Iran. He said, I did, but I missed Afghanistan. And went down to the very southern bit of Iran, and then cycled over into Pakistan, 
and another Muslim country, of course, and then from Pakistan into India, and here, and, and here he was. I said, how was the trip? He said, it was brilliant. I said, but, you know, European, you're, you're in NATO. You've had troops killing and bombing and, and waging war on the precious countries. I said, how were you treated? Uh, he said, I can hardly remember paying for a meal or a hostel or a hotel room along the whole journey from Turkey to India. He said, the uh, people wouldn't let me pay. And I thought, gosh, I wonder if a Muslim cycling across Europe would be so warmly and lovingly received. So I'm a young guy, hitchhiking, it's easier than riding a bike, I have to add. Across, going across Afghanistan. And while um, hitchhiking across Afghanistan, you get so far, da -da, the trucks and the cars and whatever, might, backs of motorbikes, whatever it might be, and then you might sleep. Sometimes in the middle of the desert, on the side of the, the road, and some of you may have done in your homelands or wherever you've lay, on your back in the night, and you look up the stars and you're out there in the space, you know. God, you don't need Buddhism to tell you what it is to be a free human being. <laughs> Gosh, it's all obvious uh, uh, there. And in Kabul, which is a lovely, extremely eccentric city, I have to, uh, have to say, this, this is a small incident. This is um, October 1967, so you know, some of you will remember. <laughs> and um, so we're just, just standing on the side of the road, like people do, to cross over to the other side of the road. I mean, you know, and beside, and I was with a, a friend, you know, a traveller, and, and beside us were two Muslim women who were wearing the burqa. The full gown, head to toes there. And what I spoke to my friend, and I said, it's extraordinary when one sees the women in the burqa, the full gown, I said, one pretty well can tell if they're in their 20s or if they're in their 40s or in their 60s. I said, you, you, can, you can tell there. And I said, you see the two women, women sitting next to us, standing next to us, just waiting to cross the road. I said, I can tell you, they're about our age. They're in their early 20s. And then one said in the beautiful Arabic, quietly, we speak English. <laughs> <laughs> and the four of us just burst into incredible giggles that we just couldn't standing there waiting to cross and we were just giggling and giggling it was so quiet and so out of the blue <laughs> and sometimes it just kind of dissolves all the us and them and this uh, this and that and we got on our way look, 52 years later I'm telling you the story and they use it 
as a small example, it's very little bit of trust may come in. Sometimes <coughs> there is the outer appearance, the burqa, etc. And sometimes there may be anything else in life. Sometimes there is a quiet, whatever, dare I use the word, intuition, a sense uh, there. And sometimes we can, so to speak, quote-unquote, see more deeply, look further than. Uh, and it's really, really precious. And when I was sitting on there today, because having the privilege of listening to many uh, uh, women's stories, and plenty of times women in the West will say to me, and I'm sure women here have experienced it, they, sometimes they, they go out, and they just you know, going shopping or whatever, and they just get sick and tired of men looking at them, whatever their age, or staring at them, or making some comments uh, uh, about them there. And it just feels, un- feels uncomfortable and it's un- uh, unpleasant to have to ex- experience. And I thought to myself there, what we need in the West we need the burqa. <laughs> it would solve it immediately. So the women could go out and have their own quiet space, not have it to hear this rubbish being s- spoken to them from these guys, whoever they uh, may be, and just quietly get on with their life and just be quietly in that quite nice zone of the burqa. I, I think we need a burqa in the West. That's why. That was my conclusion this morning. <laughs> <clears throat> in the experience of the naming and the form uh, there, there this Buddhist word the Pali word is Nama Nama is name form is Rupa and as mentioned to you at the beginning there is the ongoing relationship between Nama and Rupa the interconnection uh, between the two and in that interconnection uh, between the two, with one, that is uh, the Nama, as hopefully made it clear, it is as important the looking at and the description of as the event, as the thing. The thing, it could be a person, a place, a time, a situation, the thing which we look at requires the looker, that which we observe, (coughs) (coughs) requires the observer. (laughs) That which we meditate on requires the meditator. And you and I, in this case, that which we bring to the meditator or to the observer there is as important as that which we look at. Not separate. That which we bring to it, to look at it, is important as that which is looked at. And these teachings are non-dual teachings in the deep sense of the word of the meditator and the meditated upon. The experiencer and the experience of. What is the description that you give to the described and your life for its peace of mind and wisdom is really dependent on this 
What is the description which you give to the described? This is the duality that we face. It's a real uh, challenge. And sometimes in life, things are not easy with this. I was speaking to a farmer. I live in South Devon, Totnes in South Devon, and uh, engaged, as others are, with the uh, community. And I had a meeting with uh, a farmer on <coughs> various issues. <coughs> Actually, I was trying to set up a spiritual festival on his land. Um, anyway, it's another story. And we were just talking in the middle of the field. There, there, there. And he... I were talking that the cows in the, the field were all in one, one corner and they, they spotted him talking and they came over with their innocent beautiful curiosity oh, oh, thank you, thank you Ruth, thank you and they came over and as we know that India has such a in the best of India such great love of the cat and they formed a perfect circle around us there. Just so we were talking about the field and would it be possible to have this festival here and, da, 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 and the cows and this, there, this, you know, as they do, just watching, watching. Uh, really, you know, you've seen all the, the Facebook things and these things. And really, really precious. And I said, isn't it precious and wonderful? These human animals so trusting. And he said, yes. And he said, as a farmer, with my herd, I get to know them. I get to know every cow. I, I, was, personally, was, I was born on a farm uh, in the uh, n- uh, north of uh, England. It had 27 cows, my mum, a single mum, by the way, uh, told me. And when the cows came back from the fields at, at night... They had 27 boxes, and every cow knew which was his home. Just, you know, just like us, you know, not so much different. So we're there with the cows in circle. And then he said, I love my cows, and he said, I just find I start giving a name to them. Just, it just comes, they just have a name for the, for the cows. And he said, but then the day comes when I have to send them to the abattoir to the slaughterhouse and he said you know what Christopher he said I spend the whole day crying he said this is not easy this job and human love and human affection and empathy it can develop so beautifully and so deeply. And yet, in all of that, as with this wonderful farmer and the, the trusting animals uh, 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 around, still having to live, you know, with change and life and death and intentions and motivations 
uh, as well. Just uh, uh, not easy. In, in Britain it might be similar elsewhere. The highest degree of depression in the various fields of work is amongst farmers. And sometimes it's the uncertainty of climate change and the impact it's having. It's the finances. It's can I feed my children? It's the love of the uh, animals, the death of the crops. It's a, and, and a certain isolation that many farmers have because they're self-employed and have few really close friends. And we need to kind of understand our farmers and to listen and to feel more community sense and develop all, all, uh, all, all of that so they don't feel this isolation and some of that depression which really can impact on their life. So we look, we're mindful of the naming process and we're looking at the description and sometimes in the description of it's healthy, it's clear this is what is happening there. But then we want that extra vil vigilance with us in those times and moments when the description of it we know quickly, early as possible, this is a problematic description. This is a reaction. A reaction is a repeat of the old. The description we have given to something which is reactive, we've done it before. It's never the first time. It might be the first time on a particular object, fair enough, but it's not the first time because it's got a history to it and we need, as the Buddha said, enough mindfulness to the extent necessary to be able to recognise, in this case, when it is a reaction from the past which is landing in the present and not giving us a clear picture of the present. And every fear, anger, blame, negativity, confusion, or whatever, has as an influence the old landing in the present. And we want to the extent they say, just can I catch it early? Can I just find enough mindfulness and enough concentration to live a liberated and awakened life freely as possible because one has disempowered those influences. And that, that practice is what we're engaged in here. So when engaged in the mindfulness of breathing, as we've been doing today, and in the sitting, walking, standing and reclining, actually, we are equally interested, of course, in the breath, but we want to be able to see as early as possible what is happening when we depart from the object which we have named, called breath, called walking, called standing, called eating, called pissing, called going to sleep or whatever. What happens in the departure from? And this is not a teaching of trying to be here and now all the time, which is impossible uh, anyway, 
the now is not some absolute God-given truth in that res- uh, respect. It is a contribution to the exploration of the naming process. Nothing more than that. And similarly, the naming process that I mentioned of the past, the way we name or describe the future, all three matter equally. So in the Buddha's Dharma, when speaking and referring to mindfulness, it applies equally to being mindful of what was, equally to what is, and equally to what might be. It's not a narrow, boxed mindfulness. It's a mindfulness which is also equally mindful of being judgmental. And it's a mindfulness which encourages wise judgments and for us to know the difference between the two. The small moments the young guy is standing on the road having a conversation there. The farmer sharing uh, uh, the deep story, the small incidents uh, of life. The spark out of those really support and contribute to our awakening, to our connections, to our uh, uh, interconnections. So I kind of if I may just take a couple of uh, personal examples again. <coughs> um, at home, I live in, as I mentioned, the town of Totnes. The back garden is probably four metres wide, maybe five metres, about the width of this room, the back garden. So fairly regular, I do my duties, mow the lawn. Run up and uh, uh, run up and down, and regularly, the black a blackbird living nearby, and yeah, presumably it's passed it on to the siblings. Here's the lawnmower, and lands in the garden near the lawnmower, and I think, oh, so I just carry on there, I'll chat away to the bird. Uh, there and then I finished and then he's going around the garden finding the worms and the insects and, uh, there and I just got the impression over the years he's actually he thinks I'm doing it for the blackbird uh, uh, there. and I was in a retreat I was telling one of you uh, earlier in the seminar house it's in Bavaria in, uh, in Germany and he's kind of Again, this, the small incidents, you know, you can't buy in your supermarket, you know, but they, they bring extraordinary sense of joy and delight of this intimacy with life, intimacy with the creatures. So, I'm in the room uh, on the retreat, and, then, and I have a second room there, which is uh, uh, the bedroom, door is open and then there's just a room that leads out to the garden and it's, got, it's a glass door it lets lots of light in and the cat who lives in the uh, uh, retreat uh, uh, centre as they do 
brings a mouse over and with great aplomb and pride drops it right there. Mm. There. So I opened the glass door mm, and the cat ran back and then the mouse ran in. You know, the cat in the room, but the mouse ran in the room. I mean, the room has got a table in it, it's got a, a little cupboard in it, and a couple of chairs. In my room with the bed, you know, table, etc. And could I find this mouse? Where are you gone? And I looked, I just looked everywhere. So come the evening, day is over, hot drink finished, etc. I had some biscuits, I get very well looked after. And I thought, I'll just put a biscuit in the middle of the floor, and if the mouse is there, I'll have the biscuit. So, six o'clock the following morning, I got up, the biscuit is gone. <laughs> Not a crumb. Gone. Gone. It's still around. So, the like that night, come 10, 10, 30, right? I put out, and this is a true story, I put out the biscuit again. And went to bed, went to sleep, because I searched, searched again for this mouse, but again, got up for a morning, it had gone. The biscuit had gone, disappeared off the planet. The next night, I'm sitting there at nine or ten o'clock at the table in the middle of this small room, yeah, sitting on the chair, I got the laptop, just doing the catch up news. This mouse is sitting less than half a meter away from me, looking up at me. <laughs> and I looked down and I said I said to him, You're eating all my biscuits, etc. The trust had come that he got so trusting, even though, and just thought, it's, you know, it's, look, it's 10 p.m., I'm hungry. <laughs> Where's my biscuit? <laughs> Etc. And it's the beautiful, and I left, next day, left all the doors open. It was a field mouse, left all the doors open, the glass door open, everything open, window over everything, and then he, he'd, he left, he'd gone, the biscuit was still there. But I just use it as a small exa example here that a little bit of giving, a little bit of sensitivity and uh, warmth or whatever we may offer, it invites this intimacy. It's the, it's the caring for and it brings the joys back to us. We get repaid a hundredfold, a thousandfold times more happiness than that biscuit could ever give us than that material object could ever give. Precious, precious. Sometimes, sometimes, once again with the, the naming and uh, uh, the uh, uh, object uh, uh, there, the name itself, once again, doesn't stand often by itself. And what I mean by that is, with sometimes with the name we have our feelings, 
we have our intentions, we have our motivations, we have our interests, and the naming takes place. And we need to be extraordinarily vigilant about the naming which feeds division. So there's feelings, there is memory, there is identification, and there is the self. And that combination influences the naming of. And that naming of, due to the conditioning, looks at the described, which is the other, and names it, and in the naming and the repetition of the name can generate an incredible negativity and violence to the other through the word which is being used. We lose sense of the common humanity. We lose sense of our love and connection uh, with each other. We become so identified with the name we give ourselves, so identified with the name that we give others, we will follow up on that name with all the consequences that go, that go with it. Human beings, I think, to repeat a little, need extraordinary vigilance on the condition of the describer and the, and the view of the described. And we have to challenge this when it's conflict, when it's war, when it's violence, when it's reactivity, when it's blame. To challenge it within ourselves, because we're working on this, and also challenge it uh, with each other, and especially with our political economic masters. We have a lot of work to do to really explore what the human being is engaged in in this naming process. There has to be another way of being, another way of understanding this world in which in the understanding we are not trapped and solidified and narrow and small because of the description we give to the described. The names which we give to the naming of. Do engage fully with the mindfulness practices the four postures, appreciate the times of course when you're in contact with the process, appreciate the healthy responses that may well come in the description, it's a privilege in a way for all of us to be here, a delight to be here and give that real extra uh, interest in any reactivity that's going on and to really notice the kind of language languages which are being used in those times there may all beings live mindful lives may all beings look at the names and the named
may all beings have a profound understanding of a non-dual way of looking. Let's just have our quiet minute together, shall we please?